What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the latest episode of Awards Blend, a podcast that is primarily dedicated to all things cinema with an emphasis on the ongoing Oscar race. And believe it or not, we actually have two and a half more weeks before we get to that actual Oscar ceremony, which is going to be broadcast on Sunday, March 4th. This has to be the absolute longest time that we have ever spent having to discuss the films of 2017, which is super frustrating because we have so many other things going on in 2018 that we want to get to that are exciting and fresh. And so we're going to start bringing them, some of them into the podcast also. My name is Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing director here at Cinema Blend and one of the co-hosts of this weekly podcast. And joining me, as always, is Fox 5 DC entertainment reporter, Mr. Kevin McCarthy. Kevin, how are you? Hey, how you doing, Sean? Uh, yeah, we're on uh, this week without without our uh, one of our best friends, uh, Mr. Uh, Jay. Jake oh. Hamilton is uh, one. We're one one man down this week. We're pouring a little bit out, a little bit of our beer out for for Jake, yeah. who um, had too much candy and had to go back right. to the dentist. Um, yeah, Jake is out right now, uh, so the two of us are going to shoulder the load. We're going to miss him a ton. Uh, we're going to talk about how the Dark Knight stinks and that his choice for the Nolan was <laughs> totally wrong. But be sure to send Jake your uh, your sentiments on Twitter, letting me know how much he was missed. Yeah, so. for people for people who are just tuning in right now, I mean, we're, we are going to review Black Panther today. I think everybody wants to know how that film is. Sean, you just saw it. So I'll, I'll let you take the lead on that, obviously. But I just want to make you know anybody tuning in live, we are going to review Black Panther. I literally just came out of it. Yeah. I, I walked out of it about a half an hour ago, and I'm still riding on the high that is that movie. I can't believe it. But yes, let's get to that in a little bit. Um, that'll be one of our first segments. We're also going to get into the best actor uh, discussion, the best actress discussion. We need to recap um, our Christopher Nolan conversation from last week's episode. We had amazing feedback from everybody who used the hashtag Nolan Blend on Twitter and weighed in with their favorite ones. Um, and we're going to get into a couple other things, too. Later on, the, one of the last things we're going to do in the segment is we're going to have a recommendation for some things in pop culture world uh, tied to movies that we want to recommend to you guys. So stick around. It's going to be a really good show. We are live here on YouTube. Um, and then you can also find us in all your various podcasting channels and stream us um, when the audio goes live. Kevin, I want to start with something. Um, our weekends tend to be um, times when we like disappear, right? You, we go to junkets, we go to visit, uh, we go to interview celebrities. You were just in Disney World. And I love it. you were at Animal Kingdom because I have to ask you, you didn't even tell me, did you go on the Avatar ride while you were I there? I did. I did go on the Avatar ride. How um, amazing is that ride? That ride is one of the best things I've ever been on. It was awesome. I mean, here, here's the thing. So uh, I'm, I'm a big uh, coaster slash theme park ride fanatic. Um, I'm, I'm always open to uh, an idea of a ride that fully immerses you in an environment, makes you feel like you're actually there. Uh, there were two rides down in Pandora that I went to. Uh, first of all, I don't, I don't love the film Avatar, so I don't really have like this incredibly uh, engaging desire to go to Pandora just because I love the movie so much. I was interested in going because I'm a huge James Cameron fan, and I wanted to see kind of how the park came to life. Uh, I mean, growing up, Terminator 2 and True Lies and, and The Abyss and Titanic, films I all love. I just was very disappointed in Avatar. That being said, um, Flight of Passage is an incredible ride. Um, I don't think it's on the same level as the Forbidden Kingdom. Is that the name of the ride? The Harry Potter ride where you're riding the... Um, I've never done that one. At Universal? I think that's what it's called. You're riding the Quidditch sticks and, and it's, it's a fully 3D experience. It's basically right. what Avatar is except for you're moving around uh, and almost like going through an entire environment that also mixes together a 3D uh, screen as well. So with Avatar Flight of Passage, you're, you're sitting in a seat, 
and you're essentially attached to a banshee and you're flying through the role of avatar which is very very cool and it works it's very well done and the seat vibrates um i i think it's very very good i don't think it's worth the wait times people have to wait for it it was three there was a right. it was a three hour and 15 minute wait when i was there i had a fast pass thankfully um so my experience was good because my wait time was only about 30 minutes um the other ride though the river ride where you're on the river going through pandora right Right. I, I didn't find that to be, it was cool, like practically and, and visually. Um, but yeah, there's a, a the ride that uh, at, is for Harry Potter, the not the Gringotts one, but the, the, the one where you're actually in the castle or wherever that is. That that ride is amazing. My wife and I have ridden it a bunch of times. I think it's called the Forbidden Something. I forgive my name, my name mess up on that. But it is honestly the one of the best rides I've ever been on. So Flight of Passage, I would put like, a below that but it was good I, it didn't blow me away though like i wanted it to but neither did the, did the movie so maybe that's maybe that's where i'm at so <laughs> that's it's perfectly in tune with the movie it's it's uh no see i i was totally amazed by it um i i was lucky enough to have one of those fast passes i jumped off the ride i jumped right back on it rode it again because the first time there's so much to look at it is one of those immersive right. giant screen rides there's this one point where you're flying on the back of one of those winged beasts and you go down by the water and it's the kind of ride where like it mists you and you feel like you're actually really close to the water what i noticed is that it's getting kids excited about avatar like there's kids who are coming out of it going to that gift shop they're picking up uh, avatar t-shirts and and they're getting some of the toys so maybe when cameron gets the second one ready if he actually ever gets the second one ready um this park will help uh, you know kids be interested in what the story might be yeah and by the way i looked it up it's the forbidden journey and i've ridden it twice that uh, the harry potter portion of it um so sean as, as we're talking about that because obviously there's these are both movie themed rides uh when right. you if you ride forbidden journey it 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 will blow your mind more than, in my opinion, than the flight of passage. Because flight of passage, as I mentioned, is you're sitting there and you're flying. Well, it's amazing and visually cool to look at. Imagine doing that while also moving around. Uh, like Forbidden Journey, like essentially takes you through the spiders. You're playing Quidditch. Uh, it, it's, it's awesome. I mean, I'm not a big Harry Potter fan. My wife is, so I kind of. I don't even know if I'm getting the lingo right or the names of the things right, but um, but it was an awesome ride. It was like one of the coolest experiences I've ever been on. So compared to that, it's not. I don't think it's as great, but it's it's definitely solid. While Kevin was uh, down in Disney World riding the rides, I went to Bogota, Colombia this past weekend, which is really strange. I understand because I've never been to South America before, um, but I was invited to visit the set of Peter Berg's uh, next movie that he's making with Mark Wahlberg. It's called Mile 22, and I can't talk a ton about it because a lot of stuff that I learned is under embargo, um, but you can go to Cinema Blend's Twitter page because they did let me share um, an explosion that we watched them set off in the middle of the city. Uh, and Kevin, I know you're going to love this because Berg does all practical effects. Like yep. the story of this is that um, Iko Uwas, who is the action star who is in the two raid films, um, he plays a guy who has some information and he turns himself over to an American embassy. And then Wahlberg's team, which has Ronda Rousey on it and Lauren Cohen, they have to get him from the embassy in, an, in a nondescript third world country to an airstrip that's 22 miles away. And basically everyone in the city is trying to kill them. So it's like one giant action set piece. And Berg actually shut down the Times Square of Bogota, Colombia. The set was like a 
10 or 12 block area that they totally shut down and we watched them set off an explosion. And you can go to Cinema Blend's Twitter feed and watch that um, awesome. that explosion take place. And so what I learned, too, is that Berg basically said um, he, he works so on the fly and basically adds things to the story as he goes that they weren't even supposed to have an explosion that day. And I think he maybe was like showing off a little bit because he had press on the set. But they set off two big explosions and we were able to record one of them. And uh, it was one of the coolest things that I've seen awesome. uh, on a set. Yeah, to see him put that together. Do you, yeah, you, when you go to sets, what do you, do you have you been to a few, and what have you seen that's really cool? I mean, I've been to some sets. Yeah, I mean, one of, the, I mean, like, my dream is just to like do set visits uh, forever and just kind of like what go like, like what you did, what you saw. I would love to visit a Michael Bay set. I would love to visit like a a Nolan set. Um, I mean, I, I've said this in the show a million times. My favorite thing about movies is when directors use practical effects and the fact that peter berg does that is very very cool i know he did he did a lot of practical stunts and effects on lone survivor um mm -hmm. even with uh uh deep water horizon which was inc uh, incredible i mean the setups for that were amazing some of the sets that i've been to i went to now you can see me too uh mm -hmm. which was cool because it, I, I was there the day that mark ruffalo was filming a scene with Mar uh with morgan freeman that was really really cool to be on that set and I, I was interviewing Jesse Eisenberg. This was right before Batman vs Superman came out, and Jesse had his his head shaved, but he couldn't talk about why, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I've been to that one. Uh, I've only been to a few sets. It hasn't been uh, enough. Like I want to, I want to go to right. more. That's the only one my, that comes to mind that I've actually been to where I've seen a scene being filmed. Um, okay. But yeah, I want to go to more. We're gonna take the podcast to a set one day. I want the I want That'd someone awesome. to bring the. Uh, the Awards Blend podcast to a set. Um, this weekend, it feels like a summer blockbuster weekend because we have uh, Black Panther is opening and Kevin and I were lucky enough to actually see it. Uh, I actually saw it a couple of, of minutes ago um, and we, we're going to talk about it. We're going to review it. We're going to get you excited for it, but we're not going to discuss any spoilers whatsoever. Um, so you can listen to this freely. You can get yourself ramped up for the film. Um, and this can be something that you can sort of decide whether you're going to go see it or not. I think with the Marvel movies at this point, they have such a built-in audience that people are going no matter what. But the numbers on this one, dude, are tracking incredibly high. I mean, the movie is somewhere around 150, 170 million for an opening. And right now there are only four Marvel movies that have ever crossed 170 million for opening weekend. And they're all huge sequels, Iron Man three, the two Avengers films. Um, so what do you think is the attribute to the fact that, that this movie is tracking so huge? Cause it's, I mean, honestly, it's bigger than a movie. This movie is, is, is a massive, massive, event in the world i think i think that what it stands for the messages that are in this film um the cast everything about it it just transcends what in my opinion was just a it's not just a movie this is a big deal for a lot of people um and i think for cinema goers for 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 everybody i think there's something in this film for everybody so i think that um the fact that like, you know, people are buying out theaters for kids who can't afford movie tickets and all these really cool right. events that are happening. Um, the cast is just incredible. They're having a great time on their worldwide tour. Everyone's having fun following them. Um, the excitement is being built up. I mean, I think the introduction of the character of Black Panther in the Rooster Brothers Civil War film was a big deal. Obviously, a big, a really big uh, introduction to that character that made people excited about what could possibly happen with the arc of T'Challa after losing his father in Civil War. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it is. It, it's kind of mind blowing how big these numbers are at the moment. I mean, I remember initially people were saying 100 to 120 million for opening weekend, which is still a ton of money. 
Um, but the fact that it's about 170 million predicted right now, which would then overtake Deadpool's President's Day weekend number, which is 152 million dollars, is massive. And I think I even think that I've been watching some press with Chadwick Boseman. It's hard to explain why this is such a big deal because it, I don't think anything like it's ever been done before, especially with this with with this cast um, in on this scale. So I think it's it's just a huge cultural event. It's not just a movie it's it, it's it's a, it's a, an event it's also it's a world that we've never seen before in wakanda and right. that's what blew me away the most and again we're not gonna talk about spoilers no spoilers but you're gonna go you're gonna see a corner of this marvel universe that we've never seen before that is totally mind-blowing um in terms of how original and different it is it's unlike anything i've seen in any other film not yeah. just any marvel film but like any other film at all and that's what and so by giving ryan coogler the ability to make his own type of film it's culturally rich um it's it really gets into the heritage of the character and when i left i'm blown away by the fact that marvel is again it's a testament to the way that they've constructed their cinematic universe but we can get a Black Panther film that feels so true to the character and, and not to compare, but DC across town can't get a, their Batman movies right or their Superman movies right. And these should be gimmies and, and, and Marvel's so deep down their bench, their roster of talent that they can put together an amazing Black Panther film. Like we just kept going into new areas of Wakanda during the film. And I was like, that looks incredible. That looks incredible. Oh my God, that's totally unbelievable. And it was just, it was great. It was so great. Yeah, I uh, I think that one of the big things about this movie, well, first of all, the director is 31 years old, which is one thing you have to kind of take into account, which is just insane to think about. Um, this guy is amazing. What a storyteller, uh, visually, technically speaking. Uh, there are... There's a tracking shot in this film that takes place in a South Korean um, action sequence within that. Uh, I don't want to say a casino. Yeah, like a casino. But it starts. I think we can say it that. starts on a, a shot of uh, of a gun, and then it kind of travels up into like the upper area, and then back down. It's very very cool. Uh, and then that then leads into this insane car chase scene, which all this stuff you've seen in trailers and clips and things like that. Um, but the the way they design these action scenes are unbelievable. Um, one thing I thought was fascinating about the film is that it completely stands alone. There's literally, you do not need to have seen a single MCU film to like this movie or to enjoy it, which I think is interesting because they do give you a bit, a bit of a flashback back to Civil War, which is just the storyline mm -hmm. of T'Challa's father being killed, um, which already happened years ago. Not a spoiler. This happened in Civil War. Um, so that's the only real, in my opinion, tie-in to the MCU. I, I think the entire film is its own movie. I, what, are you, what are your thoughts? Uh, that's incredible. Well, okay, so I have two thoughts on that. A, I'm a little bit disappointed because I love when these movies intersect. I really enjoy that. And that's why I like Civil War so much, because it's a lot of plot threads sort of coming together in, under what is supposed to be a Captain America movie. And the Marvel geek in me that's really fired up for Infinity War, I was hoping for a few teases. You'll get all that, that in Infinity War. That. You'll get all that in Infinity War. This is its own thing, man. That's why it's cool. But I have to stop, like, I keep teasing myself. I'm like, well, in Ragnarok, they're going to have to definitely tease Thanos. Like, we're going to yeah, get a scene you, of Thanos. You can't stop thinking like and that. And we don't, we just... No, they just don't. They don't. They just do their own little standalone stories and they, awesome. they establish who they are. There is. So there's post credit scenes. So uh, we won't there's talk about what they them. are, but just right. know you should stay in the theater uh, long enough through them. But yeah, with this one, with this one, I, I didn't 
look for the connections anymore to the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe. I just let them establish Wakanda for what it is. And I appreciated it a lot more. Like even with Doctor Strange, that was the first one where I was like, well, they're going to start to explain what the Infinity Stones are and how he fits into it. But really, they're just they're just patiently laying the foundation for future stories, which is, um, again, what DC can't seem to do. DC keeps rushing and, and cramming everybody into movies. Well, the cool thing about Black Panther is that it kind of feels like it puts the MCU storyline aside for a second, and we just kind of get to go over it and 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 understand what it's like for this this guy to go home, become the king, um, and that's kind of what this story is. I mean, he'll go back eventually, I'm sure. I mean, which we'll probably right. see in Infinity War, where he gets back with the guys and 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 the, and the and the girls, and they're all and they'll do their and they'll do their saving the world business, which is cool. It's fine. Uh, but this is a completely separate entity, in my opinion. It does still exist in the MCU, of course. Uh, it's still in the same world. Captain America, Thor, Iron Man are still within this universe. It's just right. not... It, it, this is Black Panther's story. This is the story about him becoming uh, the king. And, and then uh, it's, it's, there's a lot going on here. Uh, this film features not only the best villain out of any MCU film oh. yet... But uh, I mean, I was talking to people about this and uh, we were because a lot of the discussion goes back to who is the greatest comic book villain of all time. I think the immediate answer clearly is Heath Ledger from the Joker. So that becomes your immediate barometer for where this villain, quote unquote, villain lies within that universe. And I I agree. I, I think that he is the best villain since Ledger only because I can't think of anybody who ever made me feel or had that much layered qualities to this person. Um, he's almost not even a villain, in my opinion. You could argue both ways, which is interesting. Uh, I mean, he's a murderous guy, so he, clearly the word villain can be used for him, but his name is Killmonger, so it's not like he can't... I mean, listen, he's not, a, not the best person on the planet, but he's. But it is interesting that you care for this guy and you understand where he's coming from. Um, so to me, that... That's the strongest point of this film. It's weird because the movie's called Black Panther. Chadwick Boseman is the star of the film, yet he feels more like a supporting character, in my opinion. While he's like the overarching story, I thought like the standouts were, were, were Killmonger uh, and then Letitia Wright's character who, uh, who's, who plays Shuri. Shuri. Oh, my God. Yeah, his sister. It, it's interesting, but I will say you have to give Chadwick credit because he's the grounding of the film. He's the guy that holds everything together, uh, which is what, is. You know, which is which is what he's supposed to do. But he doesn't he doesn't overshadow anybody, in my opinion. Well, and there's a real um, sense to the representation, you know, of the first African-American superhero. Not the first because Wesley Snipes Blade. did Blade. Yeah, and, why is everyone yeah. – can I ask why everyone keeps saying that? I, got, I, I watched an interview this morning and everyone keeps saying he's the first black superhero – but he's not. Yeah. It, it, that was Wesley. No, but it, Wesley it's Snipes short-term memory. Yeah, it's but, short-term memory. But I guess people, people have really short-term memory. People were saying that I, I mean, they were getting into logistics. Of, like, and forgive me if I'm wrong. Was so Blade was a comic before it became a film, right? That was a Marvel comic. Yes. So yep. There's no. There's no question. Black Panther is not the first black superhero. No. Yeah. Not at all. Okay. So, I was just all. so people who are that. saying that are absolutely wrong. Right. <laughs> but what 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 this movie does, though, every role, except for two roles played by um, the Everett Ross role, uh, who's played by Martin Freeman. And then, of course, the villain Andy Serkis plays Cloth, who is a holdover. But when you look at all the other parts, like Michael B. Jordan, we talked about Chadwick Boseman, uh, Lupita Nyong'o, uh, 
Daniel Kaluuya, uh, Letitia Wright, um, Forrest Whitaker. Every time you turn around, it's another amazing African-American actor. And it's and that has to be super exciting for an audience who has not been able to go to a Marvel movie and see their entire race represented uh, in a strong ensemble. And so and I felt that I felt like there are there are scenes again, I won't give away what these are, but there are scenes set in Oakland that lend a real weight to the story it's it's very important and and how these there are kids um in our in our society who will can look up to um a superhero that looks like them and i listen right. kevin and i are both white we go to marvel movies and we see captain america and thor and we're like yeah all right we kind of identify with them it really struck me watching this movie i was like oh my god black Panther is going to be super important to a whole generation oh, yeah. of kids who have not seen a superhero that looks like them in a really long time. Yeah, the Oakland setting stuff is incredible. Uh, and uh, again, uh, if you're watching us now, listening to us now, we're not going to spoil anything that you haven't seen already in the trailers. Uh, this, is, right. this is strictly a review, just talking about things we liked and disliked. Um, and clearly we won't be going into anything that, that, that succeeds into spoiler territory. But yeah, they're, uh, the Oakland stuff, and the reason why it's in Oakland is because I think Ryan's from Oakland. I think, is Michael B. Jordan from Oakland too? I'm not sure. Uh, or um, no, no, no. Ryan, be- Ryan's from there for sure. Ryan yeah, because Fruitvale Station yeah. is, is it, yeah. set in Oakland too. So, um, but yeah, that stuff, that, that those scenes are actually very cool because they ground the film. And like you said, like they're, yeah, the, the kids in those scenes are so powerful. Yeah. Looking up and like, it, it is really cool when you, how the movie begins. Um, but, but you know what it is? It's just the people at Marvel understand those characters. They understand their characters so inherently that they know how to bring them to the screen. Yeah. And and and, and kind of going into like more review territory here, non-spoilerish, obviously. Um, yeah, every performance in this film is incredible from Danae Guerrera, uh, who Danae Guerrera from Walking Dead arguably has the best action scene in the film. Uh, Michael B. Jordan, as we've mentioned, the layered villain, it is... Wow, like, it is, it's unbelievable how good this guy is in the movie and the scars on his body, the way they, the way they did that, the makeup is incredible, the costumes are amazing. Uh, my favorite character is probably Shuri, though, because I just love that Q James Bond aspect to her character, building yep. the suits and the technology. Um, you've seen scenes in the trailer where she's driving the car and Black Panther's like in that, in that Korea, uh, Korea sequence, South Korea sequence, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, can we, let's go to the negative uh, real quick. If you have anything negative to say, sure. I, I have a couple of things uh, that I want to say about negatively about the um, some of the characters and, and script choices. But um, o- overall, I'm relatively very excited and very positive on this film. Um, my biggest problem with this film was Martin Freeman. Yeah. I okay. didn't like his story. I didn't like his character. I understand the importance of what his character was doing for the story. I wish that his character wasn't as prominent in the story later on. I, uh, I, and, I and again, yeah. when, we, when we review this spoilerish later on down the line, a few weeks from now, I'll kind of explain more of what I mean. It's nothing yeah. to do with Martin Freeman, uh, the actor. Is, 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 in my opinion, the problem is with how they wrote his character into the story. Um, yep. I don't know if you agree with me. I just felt that he, I felt, I didn't think that that was an interesting enough person to carry throughout the movie. I No, I agree with you. I do. I agree with you. And, I, and I'm not quite sure why they did. Yeah. And I can't discuss. We can't go into, into it. Yeah. But I, I, yeah. I, 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 and I also wish that, um, 
again, I, without, without any, getting into any spoiler-esque qualities, I wish there, there's another actor in the film that I really love. I wish this particular actor had more screen time um, without saying anything about what happens. Uh, are you following who I'm talking about here? I think so, okay. yes. Um, I think so. so I just think that, I just wish that there was more screen time for one character, less screen time for, the, for another character. Um, I would have loved to have, I kind of wanted more Deny Guerrera action sequences. I wanted some more Shuri stuff with the tech stuff. I mean, the, listen, I'm nitpicking a great Marvel film here. I mean, there's, this is a great yeah. Marvel film by, by far. I, I love this movie. I don't think it's the best MCU film. And maybe we have, by, by the end of this review, we can get to where we think it ranks. But um, right. those are probably... And then there was a little bit of CGI issues that I had well, in the in the waterfall sequences, some of the right. CG didn't look incredibly great there. But overall, I thought it was awesome. What, did you have any negative elements about it? Yeah, I mean, if I have a knock, it's just it's the CGI in the action, which is a Marvel thing that we're going to have to deal with. And, yeah. and what concerns me a bit is that there are scenes in Wakanda where large armies are fighting it looks, against it each looks other. CG. It, it looks, looks like CG. a video game. And, and yeah. What I'm worried about, too, is that I think in Infinity War, there are going to be scenes just based on trailers. There are scenes I've seen of the Wakanda armies right. sort of charging at Thanos's uh, extraterrestrial army. And I'm afraid that that's just going to be but a wash of CG. Look at so. look at see, to me, Winter Soldier is the perfect example of where the MCU got it 100 percent right. And then a little bit wrong. See, Winter Soldier is my favorite MCU film out of every right. movie that's been made. But if you look at the first two acts of Winter Soldier, minus certain scenes, it's highly practical action sequences, specifically mm -hmm. the bridge scene. The bridge scene, in my opinion, is probably the best MCU scene to happen. But don't they get like extremely CG at the end of that movie? Isn't that the one with Robert Redford? And like, it's like all the, yeah. the buildings fall. I don't, I don't know. To me, I, yeah. I, I got, I got like, I think I would love to maybe see a, I know that can never go fully practical considering that we're dealing with <laughs> aliens and, 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 but the thing is what makes black Panther so great is that the villain is a grounded individual. Um, so yes. I think that the MCU have had a, has had a problem uh, over the years with villains because everything ends up being so CGI and so incredibly CG heavy. You can't connect to why this villain's doing what they're doing. When you, Michael B. Jordan actually makes sense as to why he's doing what he's doing. So much yep. so that, yeah, we can't really get into it, but it is interesting. No. Like you find yourself like understanding where the guy is coming from as to why his actions are villain-esque, um, except for the murdering part of it, clearly. But it, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's interesting. And I wish we could talk more in detail about it, but well, it's fast. We will next week. Next, yeah, next week we'll get into a spoiler conversation because we both know that this movie is going to open huge mm -hmm. and this is going to be a film that everybody's going to want to discuss and we want to involve you guys in the conversation too. So we're both going to absolutely recommend. Well, um, what's your rating? Black Panther. I would go four stars out of five. Okay, and I went. Four I, I went four point five out of five. Technically speaking, like because like, I I only go four four five uh, five. I'd give it like a 4.37 or something like that. But I mean, 4.5 is my, is the rating I'm going sure. with for the movie. Um, because I think it's more towards that angle than it is the four. Um, yeah. I mean, like just real quick before we move on a uh, couple of positive notes. I want to mention Kendrick Lamar's soundtrack is incredible. Uh, the score so is so good. Uh, hearing a Kendrick song playing during an action scene is just something that I was so happy about. Um, 
believe it or not, I'm a massive hip hop fan. I've seen Kendrick live before. Uh, I grew up on Biggie, and 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 uh, and <laughs> I was I was in that whole No Way Out time period with uh, with Diddy and that whole Mace and all that kind of stuff. So, but um, but Kendrick is my favorite current artist right now, and I was just so happy to see him curate a soundtrack. I've listened to the soundtrack at least five times, uh, and it is unbelievable. It's actually relatively the movie's PG thirteen. The soundtrack is R rated. I mean, there's there's they, they, I mean, the language is it really. Oh, the soundtrack is like explicit. It's a, a parental advisory. There's, you know, it's 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 it would be an R-rated movie if the soundtrack existed in a wow. movie role. Which is what another thing I was surprised about, considering that yeah. Marvel the movie is thirteen clearly, but there's lots of bad language in the uh, the soundtrack. Um, not in the movie itself that 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 doesn't exist, but in the actual soundtrack itself because you know it, it's awesome. You got Absol, you got J Rock in there, you got Vince Staples. I mean, the previews alone had Vince Staples run the jewels. I was so excited about that. Then the gentleman who does the score for the film, his name is Ludwig, I believe. Um, he's the guy who produced a bunch of Childish Gambino albums. Uh, and he wrote the score for Creed and Fruitvale, I believe. And he's incredible. Um, but those things all together, the score, the soundtrack, Kendrick's, and then the South Korean action sequence, the casino mm -hmm. to the car chase is worth the entire price of admission. When you go back, when you see it, when you see the movie, just pay attention to the single tracking shot of action that Ryan gives you when it goes, when they're in the casino. But the best tracking shot he ever did, we can all agree on, is probably in Creed, the second fight with the, the trainer's one. son yeah, when it goes yeah, through the... Yeah. But, but yeah, I gave the movie a 4.5 out of 5. I had some problems, again, with some character choices some storytelling aspects, some of the CG. Um, so where does, so real quick, where does it rank on your MCU scale? I know it might it's be out too, of the top five. It's out of the top five. It's in my, it's it's, my, it's be, my number six. See, I just got out of it. So I have to, it's, it's top, it's top 10 for me, but I'd have to sort of place it. I'd probably put it around seven or eight, but I have to look back over that. All right. Let me tell you what I, what I put ahead of it. And you tell me if you agree. All right. Winter soldier. I put it number one. No question. Yeah. Um, then I go, See? then I go civil war. Right. Then I go Iron Man one. I love Iron Man okay. one. Um, okay. Then I go guardians and then I go Avengers and then I go this. Okay. See, I, I, Homecoming is is a great one for me, but the Spider Man is my favorite character. I so didn't to see him done right. Finally, I liked was... Homecoming a lot, but I liked I liked Spider Man better in Civil War than I did in that movie. Um, but this, but Homecoming has arguably one of the best scenes in the entire MCU, and that's the Michael Keaton limo sequence when he figures oh, out. Oh, it's amazing! It's an amazing moment, yes. and again, a, yeah. a practical moment, a human moment, not a CG action sequence. But Homecoming had some problems, some CG issues too, man. That boat scene, I know you love that boat scene, but that's heavy CG. Heavy it is. CG. But, but even just sitting here thinking about the types of movies. So last week listening to the podcast, um, when Jake talks about the fact that like we get a lot of Marvel movies um, and how come we're not tired of them, it's because the last few have been like a teen comedy rooted in, you know, Queens, New York. Right. Um, a, a Thor Hulk team up on another planet. Um, Black Panther, which takes place 90% in a, in a secret, uh, African nation, uh, that's so sci-fi future enhanced. Like the, the idea so of what cool. a Marvel movie is, yeah. it's crazy the, the, how unpredictable but it is. Pan and that's why I don't get tired of what they're doing. Oh, Panther is, Panther is an exciting, it's an exciting thing because it's new. It's fresh. It's also very, one thing I love about Ryan Coogler is he's us. He's a 30 guy in his thirties. And, but I also mm -hmm. feel like 
He's just a movie fan. And when you watch Black Panther, you're going to notice a lot of little cool side notes to classic movies. He mentions Bonnie and Clyde in the film. There's a Grease reference. Yeah. James Bond is probably the biggest influence in this movie, if I had anything to say about that, just because of the whole concept of them doing these heists and, like, um, her, Shuri building the suits and showing him the gadgets. And, like, those scenes are so much fun, man. Like, I, I, would, I would watch a whole movie of Shuri and T'Challa hanging out just going over gadgets. I, that that yeah. stuff yep. is really, really cool. So there's a lot to love in this movie. But it, 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 it's not my fa- the best MCU film, but it is a movie worth seeing. Two ending credit scenes. Definitely stay through the credits. It's completely standalone, in my opinion. And try to go opening weekend because what Kevin was saying about the soundtrack, you oh, have to see it in a theater yeah. with a great uh, sound system. And you're going to want to see this with a crowd. It's tailor-made to be seen with a crowd. There are a lot of scenes that that get you to the point where, like, if you're surrounded by a lot of people who are so super into it, the energy is going to be amazing. Yeah, and do yourself a favor. After you watch the movie, go to Spotify or whatever music thing you listen to and listen to the soundtrack in full. Kendrick um, really kind of captures the entirety of the uh, of the film. He curated the soundtrack and. Uh, there's songs themed towards Killmonger. There's songs themed towards specifically Black Panther. Um, it's a pretty hardcore soundtrack in regards to um, language. So obviously if your kid is seeing Black Panther and he's 12 or, or she's 12, I maybe not put the soundtrack on for them because there's some bad <laughs> language. But uh, it is it is it enhanced the experience for me personally. I'm glad you mentioned that. All right, so we're going to leave the rest of Black Panther for you guys to discover on your own. We're going to talk about it next week and we can get into some more spoilers. Uh, hopefully, Jake will be back with us and he will have seen it by this point. I hope the dentist doesn't keep him out of his screening. He has a screening tonight. Dude, I had a, uh, I had a crown today. I, 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 I don't know what's going on. Ever since we started this podcast, everyone's having teeth <laughs> issues. Like It's like me and like Jake and I think Gabe, Gabe's getting like 10 root canals next week or something like that. I don't know what's going on. So <laughs> <laughs> last week on the podcast, we did a discussion of the um, the best Christopher Nolan film and we turned it over to you guys and we used a hashtag uh, hashtag Nolan blend where we wanted people to sort of weigh in with their choices for it. Just to recap, Kevin thought the best Christopher Nolan film is Interstellar. Hands down. I went with The Prestige and Jake said The Dark Knight. Um, of course, after tallying up all of your guys' responses, uh, you all went with Inception. So you didn't listen to any of us. I'm okay with that. And you, I'm okay with that too, actually. I understand that Inception seems to be the most Nolan-y Nolan film. Um, it's twisty. Uh, it's super thrilling. It's really smart. It comes together like a puzzle piece. Uh, the, the, everybody was sort of talking about on Twitter the um, idea of the top, the spinning top at the very end and whether it was going to fall or not and whether it, what it meant for Leo's dreams. Uh, Dark Knight came in second and then Interstellar came in third. So, Kevin, your movie triumphed with a third place finish amongst uh, awards blend readers. And I, Listen, I, I was I love the uh, the discussion that, that the listeners were having. And by the way, if you're looking at the video right now, I'm trying to plug my computer in while we're live. So my apologies for seeing <laughs> movement. Um, but yeah, I was very happy with the, the response. I, I love that everybody has a different favorite Nolan movie. Uh, Inception was a common theme, yeah, uh, throughout, the, throughout the discussion, which I'm totally cool with. Um, but I'm, I was happy to see some interstellar love in there because that was one of his, I believe, least critically praised movies, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I, I'll have to go back and look at the... Rotten Tomatoes score, but I'm, I would, if we looked at a ranking, I bet you Interstellar is pretty low. Uh, Do you know what people were saying, which I found really funny? More than more than one person said this when they used the hashtag. They were like, this one is my favorite, but it's not his best. And I, I with Nolan, it's really interesting that you can point out something that's um, 
you might like it for a different reason. Uh, maybe you're a huge Batman fan and you just wanted to see what he did with the Dark Knight, um, or you lost your mind over the, what he tried to do with something like Inception. Um, but then there was one guy who ranked all of them and put my two favorite Batman Begins <laughs> and the Prestige last. But then he was he's essentially defending, saying, look, they're eight and nine, but just the top seven are so great above it. God, Nolan's fan base is so passionate. It, it, it's a great fan base. And it, like, to me, the beauty of Nolan's fan base, whether you agree or whether you love his movies or hate his movies, is it creates discussion. And I think that I felt like an idiot. I, 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 I thought I would never do this, but I was like, I was standing, I was talking to Christopher Nolan one time outside of, the Critics' Choice Awards, like, we had about five to ten minutes a discussion just talking about movies and what he had seen this year and, and film versus digital. And, 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 and again, I don't know why I did this. I feel like an idiot. I was like, Mr. Nolan, can I tell you my Inception theory? <laughs> and, like, I'm like, oh, God, I'm, I'm being this guy now. Because I, I told myself if I, I, would never, I would never do this. And I was like... What is your theory? What is oh, your theory? I, I, I've, I've told DiCaprio this theory. I've told... Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, this theory. DiCaprio actually thought it was fascinating. Um, okay. But um, so my, he's a good actor. He thought he, he said he knew, he said he wanted to go back and rewatch it again to see if. Uh, but but I, I, I told Nolan, I told Nolan this theory in front of his wife Emma Thomas, who's his producer. And I mean, they, they're they're he let me say it, but like he but he kept a smirk on his face the entire time. Only so oh, he could only so he could say ah, I'm not going to tell you I can't tell you, um, <laughs> but I do I think I do have a legit theory. So with with Inception, um, there's a scene I think it's like towards the middle of the film where DiCaprio goes into this underground like very seedy place to go to go into a dream. And do you remember this scene? Like like, like he's it's like I can't remember I can't remember the specifics of it, but he goes to like this underground seedy area. A bunch of people are like, are, it's almost like a, uh, like a home where other people are being put into dreams as well. Like, it, oh, yeah. It, yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's to yeah, assist somebody with dreaming. So he gets up at, uh, after being put to sleep or whatever and goes to the bathroom. And while he's in the bathroom, he's like, you know, he's, it's, it's in like this very seedy place. He goes to spin the totem on the sink area. Right. And then yes. Ken yeah, Watanabe walks in and scares him. And the, the totem falls off of the sink top and he never actually gets to spin it again. Remember, that was his test to see if he was dreaming or not, right? Right. Did, are, yeah. you, are you following? Yeah, so, I actually am. Okay, yes. so when he, Ken Watanabe walks in and surprises him, it falls off and then they have a discussion and then he never goes back to spin the totem again. So right. in my opinion, the whole movie is a dream from that point forward. So okay. everything with the plane, everything, everything from that point forward is a dream. Because why else would Nolan have a moment where DiCaprio is about to spin the totem and then have Ken Watanabe scare him, falls off, and then not re-spin it? Why else have that scene? It was set up earlier in the movie that the totem spinning was the way he figured out if he was dreaming or not. And he didn't answer you? He's, he just kind of said, I can't. He goes, I'm not going to tell you. But, ah, but, but he doesn't know. But he, I don't think he knows. I, I think he knows. But I, I, I who else? I told Wally Fisher this theory. I told DiCaprio this theory. I told Joseph Gordon-Levitt this theory. I can't. Joseph Gordon-Levitt told me. Did you tell Tom Hardy your theory? I didn't tell Tom you Hardy. Tell, tell Tom Hardy your theory. But 
now that I'm like sitting here, I'm like, why did I even do that? First of all, <laughs> in my mind, no one's probably like, get this kid out of my face. Uh, he didn't say that. He respectfully stood there. Now, granted, right. I've, He's I've a class met, act. I've met Nolan seven, eight times over the years. I've in, I interviewed him three times for Dunkirk, three times, two times for Interstellar. I showed him my Memento ticket stub that I had from 2001 when I saw it in New York with my dad. Um, so he knows that I'm a freak nerd of, of his movies. And I was like, I've watched your 4K Blu-ray. I've been, I've, been, I've been studying your Dark Knight special features. I've watched the truck flip thing 18 million times. You know, is it true that the driver in the, in the truck in Dark Knight was the actual stunt driver who flipped the truck? He's like, yeah, that was him. Like, I knew all these little details. Um, right. So I'm sure he could tell that I was a massive fan. So thankfully, he stood there with grace. And listen to my Inception theory, <laughs> which I'm sure that millions of fans, whoever's met him before, have tried to tell him this. And I just kind of wish I didn't go there, but it's whatever. Um, no, but you don't. You're not. You're not that um, Chris Farley, you know, interviewer who's like, "Do you remember that time? <laughs> remember that time when yeah. you, you actually have like details down yeah. to the down to the." I end. just, I, I, but I mean, we're. I'm staying there having this conversation with him, and like. And I'm just like, so what'd you see this year? What'd you like this year? We're talking about Blade Runner. We're talking about all these movies. We're talking about, and then I'm like walking him through. One of the coolest things he told me, did you guys, you saw, how many times did you see Dunkirk? Twice. So I was at, I saw Dunkirk six times in, in the cinemas. Um, and one of the times I saw it was in Toronto in 70 millimeter IMAX. And then after the words, no one came to like a little party thing that they were having for like the BFCA. I think it was BFCA. Um, you were trying so hard to convince me to go to that screen. Yeah, man. I don't know why you didn't go. It was yeah. so cool. It was like a six-story uh, science theater in a cinesphere. It was, on, it was on water. And David Keeley from uh, IMAX came in and curated the 70-millimeter the print. And Nolan did a Q&A afterwards. Um, the best line from the Q&A, the, the gentleman asked Nolan, you know, were you worried about the audience being confused with the three different timeline structure? And Nolan said, F it. <laughs> I just thought that was awesome. <laughs> um, but but uh, yeah, so he, came, he comes up to me at the, the thing where I, I wait and he comes up to me and we're talking. Not that he just sought me out. I was just, you know, I was there for a reason to say hi. Um, and I said to him, I, and we started talking about the movie. If the, at the end of the film, when Finn Whitehead's reading the newspaper of Churchill's speech, uh, mm -hmm. he crumbles the paper up and then he looks up at the camera. So the, that was actually improv. That was never supposed to happen. Like he was supposed to just kind of end on them looking down, but he, he kept the shot of him looking up. But the sound of the paper crumble is the sound, the exact sound that opens the film. So he repurposed okay. the crunching of the paper. So the opening of Dunkirk is when the papers are falling as they're walking mm -hmm. through the streets. Um, yeah. the, so if you listen closely to the beginning sound of dunkirk the first sound you'll hear is the exact same sound of the paper crumple from the end of the movie see uh, where else do you get knowledge that's like awesome then what other podcast brings knowledge like this <laughs> yeah uh, um can dunkirk win best picture no do you think dunkirk no can but win now i'm picture? just like sitting here wondering why i told nolan my inception theory i just wish i didn't do that because uh, what if he confirmed it? What uh, if in that moment he was like, Kevin, uh, you're exactly right. And no one has said this All I keep thinking of myself is now he, he literally all he had to be thinking of himself is get me out of here. That's all he was probably saying <laughs> was get me the heck out of here now. No, it won't win best picture, unfortunately. I, I think Get Out is now in the running after it won its WGA award. It has a chance. We're going to discuss best picture next so, week. We're going to break down the race and see where we're at. I, rail, I railroaded the podcast. My apologies. 
No, 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 that's fine. Well, because so we used hashtag Nolan blend last week. And so it worked so well and the audience really enjoyed it. And everybody weighed in on social media and had such a good time discussing Nolan films that we're going to turn it around and do another one next week. And we want you guys to, to weigh in. We're going to do the films of Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, um, yeah. We're keep it, yeah, we're going to keep it in the best director category. Um, we could do Del Toro and maybe we will still do Del Toro before the Oscar race is over. But Greta Gerwig's a first timer and Jordan Peele's a first timer. So um, instead, we're going to dive into PTA's film. So use a hashtag PTA blend, hashtag PTA blend. Um, we want to hear what you guys think is Paul Thomas Anderson's best film. And then next week we will discuss the results and we'll give our own choices for PTA and uh, we'll get Jake to weigh in on his too. So um, that is next week's assignment. Um, before we get into, uh, I want to talk about Tarantino, uh, and where we stand with Tarantino, but, but this is an awards podcast and we're still gearing up for the Academy Awards. And we have, uh, two major categories to get into this week. If you want to hear what we thought about the director race and the best supporting actor and actress race, you can find our old podcasts on iTunes, but with actor, and it's something we've been saying with these categories, as we get around to them, it almost feels like they are a done deal. Um, that the people who have picked up awards leading up to this point, where we are, have already sort of established who the front runners are. I think, Kevin, you agree with this with Best Actor. Um, it's Gary Oldman's to lose. Do you think that he's a shoe-in, or do you think that maybe he's lost a little bit of ground? Yeah, I rewatched Oldman uh, Darkest Hour last night. Um, yeah, he's going to win. I mean, it, it, it is a great performance. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, it's fascinating how, how when you watch a Gary Oldman performance, how you completely lose yourself in it and forget that, it, that he's there. It's like, it's, cr- it's right. crazy. Uh, and he just has the masterful ability to do that. By the way, on the on the rewatch of Darkest Hour, I, I got to point out again, just man, Joe Wright knows how to shoot a movie. Like those, oh my god, those shots, yeah, man, the overhead shots of the of the of the just everything, and the way he the way he used like the the dates on the screen with the bold print that was really cool. Just the fluidity of the way he moves his camera. Um, I just, it's just a gorgeous movie. Um, yeah, but that and the train and the train scene is just oh, the train scene is so good. It really well. In order to win, he'd have to beat Timothy Chalamet for "Call Me by Your Name," mm-hmm. Daniel Day Lewis for "Phantom Thread," which all of us love, yeah. love him in it, and love that film. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya for "Get Out." And it's funny to see Daniel Kaluuya in Black Panther now because he's so. To me, I just associate him with Chris. I also like thought he's just Chris now from "Get he's Out." He's one of the weaker links of Black Panther. I, I, I wanted more from that character. I think, I, and, and he's he's not bad in the movie. I just I was hoping for a more powerful performance from him. But I will say a lot of that comes from how powerful he was in Get Out and how leading right. he was there. He's a supporting character here, so maybe I just had a bigger bigger expectation based on what I had seen in Get Out. Um, he is. Uh, He's not the most memorable character in the film. I, I guess I, I guess no. I wanted more from him, but he, he has an interesting arc though. Wakabi has a has an interesting arc in the in the film. And Denzel Washington for Roman J S Roman J Israel Esquire. And unfortunately, it's just none of the other guys have made up any ground in terms of chipping away at, at Gary Oldman's momentum. It feels like not only did like Kevin said, Oldman's really good in Darkest Hour, um, but he's been sort of picking up all of these awards along the way, and it's a bit of a 
a bit of a career award. Like we love Gary Oldman in so many different films. He hasn't won an award yet. This is be, this will be the one that the people get him for. Uh, Jake has said before that he's talked to people. Um, I think it was Jeff Bridges who told them that actors don't really care about which film they win it for. They're just happy to win. And so, yeah, I'm really happy that Gary Oldman will now be considered an Academy award winner. But I think in two or three years, if you ask me what he won for, I'll, I'll probably struggle to remember that it was darkest hour. Do you think he will follow my advice when he gets on the stage? No, I don't. And it would be unfortunate if he doesn't. Kevin would like him to to thank everyone. I'm telling you, I told him that. And I, I'm not trying to be a name drop. I feel like I'm name dropping a lot this week. I apologize. But they, I mean, we, we work You've in a business. It. You've earned it. Sean and I are around actors a lot because of what we do. I mean, Sean was just on a set with Peter Berg and Mark Wahlberg. Like, like it was no big deal. Um, but I was at uh, the Critics' Choice Awards, and, I, and I've told the story on the air before, but I'm not going to get into the whole detail again. But I said, Mr. Oldman, when you win again, please quote the professional. It would be the greatest quote ever. Can you imagine if he does that? I mean, I, why, well, why wouldn't his, he his do speeches, that, though? Why wouldn't his he His speeches that? so far have been very subdued. But, All of the speeches that he's been given so far, like he thanks Winston Churchill, and I get it because he played him in the movie. Yeah. But it's like, come on, dude. Give a passionate you know, personal speech and thank the people who along the way helped you get to this point. There's so many filmmakers that he's worked with over the years. Or just make it simple and say, thank you, everyone. That's all. I, <laughs> it's literally all he needs to do. Like he literally, he could get up on stage and just say, right. thank you to, and then scream everyone and then roll out. I mean, that would be, now I know he's not going to do what that. If he, what if he does it slow first? He's like, I just want to thank everyone. No, I'm sorry. I want to thank <laughs> everyone. The place would like rip into. First applause. of all, if you're if you're Gary Oldman, why wouldn't you do that? I don't. I, I, I'm being serious. Like what what right. what is the negative ramification of of there's doing none. that? It wouldn't. No, there's it none. It wouldn't do anything. It would honestly. It would break the internet. I mean, the great. It'd be the greatest speech in the history of the Academy Awards if that happens. Uh, and he has right. he has to shake his head like he does the movie. He's like everyone. His face is so good, and that oh, please do that, Mr. Oldman. Please. All right. So Gary Oldman seems like he has a, a lock. Okay. So of those five, Timothy Chalamet, Daniel Day Lewis, Daniel Kaluuya, Gary Oldman, Denzel Washington. Um, let me ask two questions. One: If anyone can knock Oldman off, who do you think it might be? Daniel Kaluuya. Okay. Um, and if you were able to, like we've done before, wipe the slate clean, and these are your five nominees, and you could tell me who you think absolutely should win. Who would you pick? Out of these five. Out of those Daniel five. Kaluuya. I agree with you. I agree with you. And because that is such a film that hinges on the subtleties of his performance, and truthfully, his performance is totally different the second and third time that you watch it. 100%. Because... You're in his shoes the whole time, the first time you're watching it through, and you're just trying to figure out what is happening. And then you have to realize how often he has to play dumb in a in a in a situation where obviously as the actor he knows where the movie's going. And he can't yeah. tip his hand to it at all, which is what makes those performances, him and Allison Williams, both of those performances are so genius. Such a great point. That they can't Yeah, it's when they have to be able to reveal what they know. Yeah. That, and that that's is hard. that's great. I remember yeah. asking Amy Adams about that for Arrival, like having to know what's going to happen and then not know how, uh, how to play like you don't know. 
Like I remember the, right. the ending of Arrival blew my freaking mind. Like I, I, I'm, I'm still, my mind is still blown. Like out in LA somewhere after I watched that movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. It's such an interesting thing to think about how an actor. I mean, because they're acting, they're acting like they don't know what's going on. I mean, like that, and that's the whole purpose of that character. But man, what a! Tur- that's why I, I hate. I hate asking this question because it, it sometimes it feels like a bit of a cop out. But there are certain movies that I like to ask the actors if I get a chance to sit down with them and ask them about shooting and continuity. Yeah. Um, and especially we talked about this on this mile 22, um, set that we were just on because the story takes place over just the course of a few hours. And you have to assume that like, it's such a fast paced, um, story that if you don't remember what you were just doing because you filmed it two weeks ago, how do they keep that continuity going? And I would assume for a movie like get out, like every minute matters, you know, uh, and how much have we shown and how much are we still protecting, uh, that, that, I think that that movie, I know that it's getting a lot of recognition and people start, are starting to realize how good it is, but the fact that it's not a front runner in all of these categories is kind of mind blowing. I remember Eddie Redmayne told me once that when he was filming Theory of Everything, if you saw Theory of Everything, he, uh, and by the way, rest in peace to Johan Johansson, who, uh, who did oh my uh, gosh, a right. terrible story. The guy was like in his forties, did the score for, um, Arrival and, and Theory of Everything. Mm. Uh, uh, he was supposed to do Blade Runner 2049 as well, um, but he didn't. Hans Zimmer and Ben Walfish did that. But the, uh, man, I'm so ADD. Did you see how far I went? I just, I went from Eddie Redmayne to like, <laughs> I, I legitimately have a problem. Did you guys see that? I mean, like people watching, that was, that was crazy. Anyways, but Eddie Redmayne once told. I followed I you, that's what's But scary. Eddie Redmayne once told me that when he was filming Theory of Everything, if you saw the movie, there was like three sections of that character. It was when he was in perfectly good health and then he would, and then there was a middle element where he was like diminishing and he was in a wheelchair. And, and then, you know, he, he was getting worse throughout the film, uh, Stephen Hawking. Right. He would have to shoot those three different elements in one day. So he would like get there in the morning, completely healthy. And then he would go to lunch and come back mid- midway through his, pro- uh, the, his, his health issues. And then he would finish the day extremely unhealthy and they had to go back and i'm like how is that even possible like he's like yeah at lunchtime i'm running around like 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 everything's fine and then i'm in a wheelchair after lunch performing as if i've been doing in a wheelchair for years it's like it's crazy how actors do that that's insane um let's jump to best actors really fast we have uh five nominees obviously sally hawkins for the shape of water we have what's up oscar his name is oscar so it's relevant to the segment Yes, it's relevant. Our awards blend mascot. Uh, Francis McDormand for Three Billboards, Margot Robbie for I, Tonya, Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird, and Meryl Streep for The Post. Uh, see, this is where we are probably going to disagree. You think Francis McDormand has it locked? Dude, she's probably the most locked person out of all four acting categories. Her and Gary Oldman. Okay, why do you say that? Just because she's won everything she's up to this point or because she's the dominant performance? Out of the five, I think Margot Robbie deserves it. But okay. there's no momentum there, unfortunately. Um, I think McDormand is just the – we've gotten to a point now where I think she's just the lock. I mean, when you go on TV to do your predictions uh, in Charlotte, are you going to say Are you gonna say uh, Francis McDormand? For this one, I might say Sally Hawkins. Wow. Well, why? She doesn't want anything. Um, she hasn't won everything, but Shape of Water is um, there's an uptick to the momentum for Shape of Water where there seems to be a downtick for three billboards the longer that people sit with it. Mm. Uh, people go back and revisit it. They don't think it's as good as uh, all the attention that it's getting. I think that Sam Rockwell is going to win 
for it, um, but I don't think Frances McDormand has it locked. She very well may walk away with it. She's beloved, um, and people do really like the fact that she's standing up, you know, for these speeches and giving these no nonsense, uh, no BS uh, speeches, and that really does go a long way. People do love her, but she's won before, um, and that uh, helps. Uh, that that counts against her in this category. I mean, I don't think Meryl Streep's going to get it. I think the nomination is hers, but I could see Sally Hawkins, or I could even see Saoirse Ronan. Because if it looks like Lady Bird isn't going to really get anything else, people may put some attention behind Saoirse Ronan. To me, I thought Saoirse Ronan was incredible because if you, she's um, an Irish actress um, who was incredible in Brooklyn in a um, in a John Crowley film that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, and then she plays something so totally different, a Sacramento teenager uh, in the 90s, and she's so believable in it. And so it just it proves to me that she can do anything. And uh, I loved her performance in it. So I, I could see her... Well, I mean, that's me. I don't know if I necessarily see her stealing away. I think I see Sally Hawkins because of the the love that Shape of Water is getting. I could see her sort of stealing some thunder oh, I, from Francis. I think Sally Hawkins is amazing. I think and I, I just don't think she has absolutely any momentum here. I think McDormand just dominated everything. I think that her performance, her performance in Three Billboards is the movie, in my opinion. Like Sally Hawkins' performance is great in Shape of Water, but that film is is a combination of so many incredible elements. Like you're focusing right. on cinematography and music and and the love of filmmaking that Del Toro is displaying on that screen. When I walk away from billboards, I walk away remembering how incredibly awesome McDormand's performance was and how show-stopping she was and how she was un- so unpredictable in every scene that she was in. When I walk away of Shape of Water, I walk away with a, with an overall element of a great film like uh, from just uh, not just sally but just just the overall element of the filmmaking that's how i walk away let's talk about momentum for a second because i don't feel that any of these movies have any there's no talk or buzz about the movies that are still in the race right now do you hear it because maybe maybe i'm just not hearing it down here by me but do you hear people coming up to you and talking to you about the films that are yeah that are in Oscar contention. Yeah, I get a lot of people asking me, like, you know, my dentist today said he just saw I, Tanya and he loved it, or he just saw I, Shape, Shape of Water and he loved it. People are going out and seeing them. I, I think that okay. I've actually been hearing a lot from people about these particular films. Now, granted, I work at a TV station. A lot of people are SAG uh, uh, voters, so they got their SAG screeners and they talk about that a lot. So maybe, that, that, maybe that's where I'm getting that type of dialogue from. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, like my dentist today said he went out and saw Shape of Water and, and uh, because, because they recommended it and he loved it. So um yeah i mean I, I, yeah i don't i kind of wish there was a bigger film in the race like a wonder woman or um but having get out in the race makes me so happy uh it just it just kind of like gives the list um just makes it more valid in my opinion dunkirk and and and, and get out being in there so okay what were the two wga winners the, the writers guild winners do you call remember? me call me by your name one adapted and jordan one original all right, so you think that that might really help get out? Now, granted, you know, I when that when that award was listed, people were. Uh, I read a tweet somewhere that said something. Oh, oh, here's what I read. Didn't Moonlight win the original screenplay last year at the WGA, which then turned into a Best Picture win? Let me see. I'm going to look if that up that, too because I think I think it did. That's the tweet that I saw. So last right. year at this time, La La Land was the front runner. We all thought it was right. going to win Best Picture. Moonlight win, wins the WGA. Everyone's still in La La Land, literally thinking it's gonna La La Land's gonna win everything. La La Land loses the Moonlight. Moonlight. Did win. So people are saying, "Is this gonna be? A, is this is this another one of the examples? Aren't there two weeks left in the voting for the Oscars? Yes. So yep, people can still vote. I'm telling you, 
Get Out. <laughs> if anything happens on Australia that's a big surprise, is Get Out winning Best Picture. I I could say I want it to happen really bad. I can see the votes splitting between Shape of Water and Three Billboards, possibly, and then Get Out kind of overtaking it. Right. Um, but again, I think Peel definitely has screenplay locked for original. He'll win. Um, I think that. Again, that Moonlight statistic is pretty fascinating because, again, at this point last year, La La Land was the front runner, and then Moonlight yep. sw- uh, came in and, and grabbed it. So, and and everyone's saying Shape of Water is kind of the front runner for Best Picture, but it's not. And and listen, I love it, and as people are giving it a chance, they are they're really embracing it. But it's not the film that that like is just the cultural, you know push behind this has to be our best picture winner but i could see something like get out which speaks to a lot of different people and a lot of different levels yeah. not 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 the smallest of which being the fact that it, it attacks racism in america at a time when that is a really important topic and it also made a lot um, of I money guess, too which is actually a really cool yeah. thing because moonlight didn't make a ton of money uh and i'm only no. using moonlight as an example because it was last year um but moonlight was uh a film that you know won best picture that didn't make a ton of money a film like Get Out winning Best Picture would be awesome, not only because it is a great film, it's better than Shape of Water and, and Three Billboards, but it was a blockbuster, technically speaking, considering its budget was $4.5 million. It made over 200 and something million worldwide. Um, so that, I, think it would, I think that would be a great thing to see a film that made a lot of money, that was also smart, that was a brilliant film, a masterpiece, I would call it, win Best Picture. I think, that, I think worlds would collide there. You, you you have an art house type independent style of script from a level of a mastermind filmmaker that went out into the mm-hmm. world and a lot of people saw it. And I think a lot of people watching the Academy Awards would love to see a film like that win. Uh, and, and Dunkirk made a lot more money, obviously, than Get Out did. But uh, I'm kind of, uh, as, as much as I love Dunkirk, it's my number one of the year. I'm kind of on the Get Out route and train right now because I know Dunkirk doesn't have a chance. So. That's kind of my last hope is, uh, is, is get out. Um, this has been Awards Blend. This is Awards Blend number eight. And we thank you so much for tuning in live with us on the YouTube. We will be on iTunes also. You can follow the three of us. Oh, we miss Jake still. Jake Hamilton is uh, our other co-host. He is having a, a tooth repaired. So we missed you, Jake. Hopefully we'll see you back with us next week. You can see him um, on social media at Jake's Takes. Kevin, you are at at Kevin McCarthy TV, and I am at um, at Sean underscore O'Connell. We would love for you guys to head over to our iTunes page, drop us a review. Um, We have uh, 14 ratings, I think, now at this point, too, which I'm really, really happy about. And, uh, you know, the more the merrier. If you guys put reviews down below, if you give us star ratings, we really appreciate that. We want to bring in, um, we're going to end all of these segments with um, a recommendation, something that that we've been really busy with uh, that we think that you guys will enjoy that might not be on your radar. Kevin, did you bring one to the table this week? You go, you go first, sir. I want to hear yours. Well, I, mine was something that you talked about in depth, which is the Kendrick Lamar soundtrack for Black Panther. Yeah. Because when I left, when I left the movie theater, I just instantly wanted to download it, and I haven't been in a situation. I know people came out of the Greatest Showman and instantly went to Spotify or went to Amazon to buy that soundtrack. Um, I really liked the songs for Greatest Showman, but it wasn't one where I was like, I want to get the CD and have it in my car. 
I need that Black Panther soundtrack awesome. to have in my car. It's incredible. I'd want to be able to ride on the hood of a car like he did through <laughs> South Korea and just blast that music. Yeah. So I'm putting the uh, the Black Panther soundtrack on everyone's radar and get it before you go to the movie, actually, and start listening to it now because the music is is pretty integral to the movie and it's going to really get you hyped for a lot of the big scenes. Yeah, part, I th- so. I, can, I, can, I, can I go with your pick as well? I, said, that's kinda, I mean, that's literally, <laughs> yes. I, that, that's, that's the one thing I'm listening to <laughs> currently right now um i can't stop listening to that but if you can also download the uh or get the uh, phantom thread soundtrack because um what john and greenwood did with that music i just want that to follow me around everywhere so uh i guess i'll stick with the soundtrack theme and just uh um now i will say there's the difference between soundtrack and score um johnny's right. music is more s- score uh and then ludwig's score for black panther is different from the soundtrack that kendrick created um so I think uh, you know, seek out seek out music and 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 composers and um, the people who truly kind of uh, adjust your emotions in a film. Um, I think one of the greatest examples of that ever was there was a, there was a trailer for The Shining that was cut with a very happy themed music to it, uh, and it made it a comedy, a family comedy. Um, music changes everything. So just the way that Kugler uses music in Black Panther, interweaving Ludwig's score versus Kendrick's curated soundtrack, and then. Uh, Johnny's score, um, Greenwood score in. Uh, you know what? Go- everybody should go and get a Johan Johansson score. Yes. Also. Get Arrival, Prisoners, uh, Sicario, Sicario, Theory of Everything. Sicario's amazing. Uh, and then the, the yep. sound design he did on Mother was beyond belief. Uh, the, oh my God. That movie has some of the greatest sound design I've ever heard in a film in my life. And Johan Johansson was very heavily involved in that in that particular um, in sound design. So. All right, that's our recommendation. Um, get the Black Panther soundtrack and go find one of the scores by Johan Johansson, who is a talent that we lost way too soon and we're going to miss him. So, all right, go see Black Panther. Um, use the hashtag PTA blend to tell us your favorite Paul Thomas Anderson film. We will have our picks next week. We are going to be live on Thursday, February 22nd um, at 4 p.m. So put that on your calendars. We're going to be breaking down the best picture race because we're running out of shows before the Oscars get here. This has been Awards Blend. My name is Sean O'Connell. That is Kevin McCarthy. And thank you so much, guys. We'll talk to you next week. See you up. Dunkirk. Life's better with American Family Insurance. Because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.